Hello everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the iSphere. My name is Joy. And I'm I. And today we're going to be talking about um, the fucking nightmare uh, TV documentary that Joy made me watch <laughs> in preparation for this... Uh, for the, I made for... him watch... I made him watch Lula Rich because I yes. wanted him to get a grasp of the type of conservative MLM that's multi-level marketing, not men loving men. Um, you know, alt-right kind of pipeline that is currently happening in America. And Lula, Lula Rich is a very good example of how that is happening. Um, because we're also going to be talking about the new TikTok trend um, of drinking Borax. So oh. why you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Uh, that's that's what I'm using the Lula Rich to branch off into. By the way, I is not aware of this because I want to get his full reaction when I start talking. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I made so, him, I made him watch that. Yeah. So Lula Rich, for anyone who doesn't know, is the documentary about a brand in America called Lula Row, which sells like different printed uh, leggings and dresses, I think, and dresses skirts and, pops, and yeah. like. It's it's funny how you they can kind of immediately be identified as like cheap and cheerful. I think basically there's a unique pattern uh, for every kind of skirt and people. That, you know, originally it was quite a viral thing, and then like it happened in 2016 where like they started to recruit sellers of other Lula Row. Like, you know, you had Lula Row retailers, so like, you know, they were very much targeting like stay-at-home mums who would like sell to their friends and then recruit mm-hmm. their friends to sell these leggings. And I <laughs> I was like, I knew that Joy was gonna give me a, a tough documentary to watch because like literally in the first five minutes I messaged Joy being like, I fucking hate these two people. <laughs> so there's there's Dan who is the the kind of main woman yeah. honcho and her husband Mark mm-hmm. and like you, you kind of get the deep dive on their personal life at the start of this um, they're, they're, they're Mormon and they are like the, the breeding world champions or something like that they've got like 14 fucking kids um, mm-hmm. some from past marriages and some together and some they've adopted and some of the kids that they've adopted have like married their own biological kids and it's it's just like this what? Well, it was fucking... his son from his first marriage and her daughter from her first marriage and they got married but then no but there was also one of the ones they adopted from Romania I think also yeah. and it was like you know and they make they make like a, a joke about it and it's like oh we're delighted to announce our, our son's marriage to our, our daughter and it was like that'll be a fun thing to say at the wedding and I was just sitting there like oh, I hate my life why is Joy making me watch this um, did you tag me in the vampire facial thing or the yes. vampire, vampire penis facial thing <laughs> and then some, <laughs> some twat on Tumblr decided to go full throttle for you I saw that I was like what the fuck Oh yeah, I spread medical misinformation. Apparently, that's why I tell people not to drink borax. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the the thing with Lula Row is just the whole thing is such a trip. 
And it, like, it's, I think someone's already mentioned it in chat, but it does come across as like, yeah, they started with the best intentions, their product was originally quite good. That's how they were able to get all of these people on board. Like, they, mm-hmm. they basically started off like the you know they offer packages and it was like if you spend five thousand dollars you would be sent out your first lula row like package you got like 25 skirts and 30 dresses and all this kind of stuff and you would then immediately start trying to sell them to your friends your family and people in the area and i think the reason that it was able to work quite well is that like all of the all of the patterns for each of this were like kind of marketed as being like limited edition so they only made or they claimed to only make a certain amount of them and all of them were sent out so there was this kind of from a consumer perspective there was like a feed of missing out um which while i was watching it i was like that's a hundred percent how a lot of the um cosmetic skin microtransaction stores and games work mm-hmm. um because if you go on like a store like fortnite for example um the store has a like a 24 hour timer on it and it's like you have no idea when that's like you could easily flip a switch and the skins that you could purchase that day would be available for forever but it's like because they only show certain things per day uh, on the shop they are like deliberately kind of making this you know this focusing started a gacha style game recently and the FOMO is real it's like that it's gambling, basically, but I think obviously with this, it's a bit more real world. It, it's also just talking about games. It's really insidious because Disney's Dreamlight Valley does the same thing. Yeah, is that the I kind of Disney of- Stardew? It's the Stardew of Disney. Yeah, um, I've played it. It's fun. It's not anything revolutionary or special. But it is very much geared to oh, you've got twenty four hours to get this special mm-hmm. thing, and it's you know ask your parents for money. Yeah, <laughs> go and ask like, for mummy's credit card. Yeah. Um, um. So it's very kind of insidious for a lot of these things, and it's also um, uh, James Stephanie Sterling, um, who's uh, obviously I, I don't think there'll be anyone here who doesn't know who that is, but they do. She does game reviews, um, mm-hmm. and. They have a whole bunch of stuff on their channel about how these things are actively, you know, harmful to people with like gambling addiction or ADHD oh, yeah. or any sort of impulsiveness. And it's designed to take advantage of that kind of thing where it hooks you in and you can't stop because it gives you the dopamine rush. Yeah. Um, and it's very kind of it's in, it should not belong in games marketed to children. It shouldn't belong in games full stop, but it should not be in games marketed to children. And it is. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, the kind of the Lula Rose stuff, I'm going to stutter over that this whole time. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's a nightmare. <laughs> I have a, people don't know this. I have a stutter um, that I work very hard to. I do a lot of speech therapy for. And Lula Rose is a nightmare for me to yeah. say. Um, but the Lula Rose stuff, they specifically target moms with young kids. And they started making like stuff for kids as well. And the kids all wanted to look like mummy, you know, and it's like that yeah. kind of like, oh, if you don't get this, you won't match with your kids and you'll miss out. And it, it was always very, when I was watching the documentary again, because I've seen it before, I was watching it again. And I'm like, well, wow, these people are actually evil. Oh, like, yeah. It's... Just straight up, like, and... if, you know, they'd be, they'd be selling like snake oil in the Wild West. Like that's yeah. what they would be doing. 
I think it's it's really interesting. So like the the two the two owners of the company are being like interviewed. I don't think at the time of the interview they knew what the documentary was gonna look like. I think it was pitched to them as like a oh you can tell your side of the story and then the documentary came out and I think at like they basically have said that they, they didn't agree to a second interview on the back of it. Um but it kind of is, it does a good job in setting the scene and the first episode is very much about the company and how it grew so rapidly that they, they moved to, funnily enough, they actually moved to their base of operations to where my sister stayed in the US. They were in Corona, California. Um, mm, yeah. And they, they moved this giant kind of like headquarters there and they've got all of the, like the factory kind of just churning out stuff. Um, and the, like, you know, they're interviewing former members of staff and like <laughs> some of the members of staff are really fucking funny, actually. There's a, there's this designer woman who just absolutely does not give a shit about the company and is like happy. Oh. She was like, yeah, I was being asked to churn out 110 designs a day and the whole place was like a shit show. Um, they were being know. encouraged to steal images off Google, and as long as you take change up to twenty percent of the image, it is no longer considered copyrighted, and then you yeah. can use it. That's also how you see a lot of these kind of like you know the people that make your book covers really fast. A lot of them are using images they don't technically have permission for, but they've yeah. altered it just enough that they can get away with it. Yeah, and you later really find <laughs> you later find out at the end of the documentary that some of the designers just didn't alter them, so that's how they yeah, ended they up getting... Yeah, they were just taking them straight off Google, yeah. Yeah, they ended up getting caught for that, and I think they were, like, basically to... Yeah, like it takes you through the whole thing and you meet you meet some fucking weird characters. I think it's, like, their two sons, like, are... Like there's there's a nephew who's the head of like marketing and events, and he's he's nuts. He's like he's the guy that was supposed to set these massive Lula Row events for all these uh, stay-at-home mums to get like really really hyped up, and he was hiring like Kelly Clarkson and Katy Perry to like hold like private gigs for them at, at these <laughs> at these events. And <laughs> there's a there's a bit like two episodes in where they they say that oh he he got fired and he gets to kind of he's he's been appearing in interviews but uh, he's like he got fired because apparently he was just having sex with a bunch of these stay-at-home mums who were coming at the coming to the events and that wasn't which he denies which yeah he, he, denies, he does deny it yeah um, um and it, it's weird. just the fucking strange so weird and it but like it, it gets it gets progressively worse as well. Like you hear, um, so the way it works, and I'm not gonna do like a baby's guide to pyramid schemes here, but I think the way that the organisation worked was quite so. It, like you go in at the bottom as a retailer, you then I think it was like you get three to five people underneath you and you become a trainer, and then you become a then you become a coach, and you needed to like you need if to be a coach you had to have a certain number of trainers underneath you and then you become a a mentor which was like the highest like yeah. yeah yeah like a highest level where it was like so all of these people would like almost pay pay homage to you because obviously it all pays up um but you would have like coaches and trainers underneath you and i never quite understood how it worked because there's surely like a point where that caps out 
where like you can't like you could technically be a mentor underneath another mentor because there's no other levels um so i didn't quite understand how that like progressed so to like to be a mentor you had to have five coaches but if you already had a mentor above you could you become a mentor or be like locked at coach it didn't really explain yeah, that didn't, but didn't i feel like these things aren't meant to be understood <laughs> no they're not it's you the only people that profit from mlms are people that get in at the start yeah um people that are there at the very beginning everyone else after that is operating at a loss by default i think they say um, that 80, on 80, on average 80 Eighty percent on average will be making operating at a loss. There's only twenty percent of people make profit, and it tends to be the twenty percent that were there at the very start. Yeah. Um, I just I want to get into their characters because the Diane person is evil. Is absolutely yeah. evil. <laughs> the story, like she talks about her. Oh, my! Our, my maiden name was Startup. Oh fuck! And I'm staring. I'm staring at it, going, "Is that true?" Or is that just lore that you built for yourself to build into this mythology that you are who you you know the, the image you are presenting and the story about her mum, the whole thing with like oh she's like it was nineteen seventy something I think she said yeah and it was her mum closed a big deal and she got she it paid three thousand dollars and she said which was a lot of money back then and I'm sitting here going it's a lot of money right now <laughs> yeah. Um, and her mum went to the bank and cashed the check in $5 bills. And then the kids, when they got home from school, the mum was like, go stand at the bottom of the steps. I have a surprise for you. And then the kids will stand at the bottom of the steps. And she tells them to close their eyes and count to three. They do all that. And then she starts throwing money over the side of the banister. So all this, like, $3,000 worth of notes come fluttering down and she goes mama did this for you we're gonna go shopping and it was like dan's like my mother was showing me what could happen if you worked hard and followed your dreams and i'm yeah. like that sounds like mom was having a so i say that as someone who's experienced manic episodes from medications that sounds like a manic episode if you are throwing <laughs> three thousand dollars over the side of the stairs and you're screaming at your kids we're gonna go buy ice cream it's, yeah, it's like um, but to me, that is the kind of shit I would do if I was high on whatever medications interacting <laughs> with my other ones. Um, and I was sitting there going, "That's mental illness masquerading as hustle. That's yeah. not okay. That's not normal." And, um, and it's funny because like Jessica watched it with me, and I think there was some pretty clever editing on the um, <laughs> just on the documentary because a lot of the times it was juxtaposed like her, what she was saying in her interview was immediately juxtaposed with like her deposition when she's on trial <laughs> and it's like like she she's happy to portray this like um i'm very in control of my business i am a i'm a hustler i am at it every day i i constantly graft and then you saw in the deposition being asked like the most basic questions about the operation like she couldn't tell the folk on the other side of the deposition whether she was co-ceo or not and i don't know my husband deals with that yeah oh my 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 husband's the money man (laughs) yeah um, it's such a, oh, her mum was apparently this 70s women's right advocate but it was like women's right advocate for like the the, the, the extreme right but it was like women's right we need women's rights because and, but women's rights are separate from men's rights women have the right to be women which major terror fives <laughs> and then 
it was like women's rights and men were not equal you know that's not how god made us and it was like this whole manifesto about you know like how to interact with your husband and like how to like be a woman and it was like shake your curl saucily to show your displeasure but then again you're just a little girl what can you do appeal to his manliness make him feel strong yeah he'll give in to you and i'm sitting there going I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that this this started to, uh, as as far as I'm aware, it kind of started to drip through Lula Rose like internal like messaging because yeah. like originally the whole thing was pitched as a like startup. Um, you know, you're a you're a stay at home mum. You can make a what was it a full time salary with a part time job, um, and then like there was a kind of big thing pushed internally to all of the retailers it was like you can retire your husband like you can get your husband to stop working because this is going to earn you so much money and it's funny because you've got a lot of people who are like former retailers going like this is the most insidious bit because it's like you want families completely dependent on the brand mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you hadn't you hadn't just lured in the mum and like some of the mums were like clearing out their fucking nurseries in order to convert them into like lularoe selling pods and like the you know the children were being put into like rooms together and like they didn't have their own room anymore mm-hmm. and stuff and it was it was really quite creepy and a lot of them all like a lot of them do see like there's there's a bit where they go to all of these events and they get invited to like the LuLaRoe cruise and stuff and I think some of them said that when they started to realise it was a cult is when the guy Mark started to stand up and read from the Book of Mormon <laughs> and yeah. it's funny how all it takes for some people is like the moment you start quoting stuff like that folk go ah wait a minute <laughs> wait a wait a second you know, it wasn't it wasn't the things where Diane was on these live calls saying, you know, as a woman, sometimes you just got to get on your knees for five minutes of the day to keep your man happy. Yeah, and and, and then and going. then he and then he'll give you money to do whatever you want. And I was like, yes. yeah, it just seems like quite a sweeping thing to see to like mass indoctrinate a lot of of women. Yeah, and then once once you got to a certain level there was the whole thing about the um the gastric band surgery in mexico that i was like oh what God, the yeah. what in the goddamn fuck is like so the the woman diane apparently has like a contact <laughs> down in tijuana and like starts to actively encourage some of the the higher level people to go and get gastric band surgery and apparently the they they run buses. There's like they're, they're like they're, take, they're like they're filling up buses of women to go and get like gastric band surgery in Tijuana, and you're sitting there going, "That just sounds kind of human trafficky at that if, at this point." Not, it's like what the no, fuck. If someone said to me, you know, like it was you know you were taken out to dinner by your boss, and they started saying to me, you know, you should really dye your hair blonde to fit in more with the corporate culture. I'd be like, mm, that's a red flag. If it got yeah. to the point where I dyed my hair blonde, I was dressing the way they wanted me to, my husband had quit his job to work with me, and they said to me, you should get gastric bypass because we want all of our women to look our best. Yeah. That would be the moment where I'd be like, wait a minute. But for some reason, some of these women were like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is why I found the the designer lassie the fucking funniest because like she she got a promotion. She came in as like a designer, and she was like, but she moved up to like a kind of middle manager position, and a. During her like interview for that promotion, they were like, "We are promoting you, but we haven't seen you wear any Lula Row in the past three days." And she was like, "Okay." <laughs> um, but it is, it is really insidious how they got into these women's heads and they use as Tundra saying, you know, the cultural fat phobia of kind of the yeah. American like you have to be the perfect housewife, and it was basically grooming them to be Stepford wives. It was to have yeah. no thoughts in their head, to be as blonde and skinny and obedient as possible. And I remember looking at Deanna and going, but you're none of those things. You're yeah. blonde, but you're not obedient to your husband because, well, maybe she is, but like her husband still talks about how strong and empowered she is, but none of these that, women were allowed to be That was had to, to go to their husband. Yeah, that was, the, that was one of the biggest red flags for me about him. Um, was that the fact that he sat there and went on these like fucking god awful monologues about like empowering women and like women's it like in intelligence and beauty and you know it, it was almost like it's like it you kind you kind you kind of want like you you want people to like believe that, but you feel like this was a script that he'd memorized to a T, and he can go off on that spiel about like, oh, I'm all about empowering women to be the the most you know they're they're so beautiful, they're so fantastic, they're so intelligent. There's tons of smart women out there, and we just want them to be the best they can be. You know, it was just very like the moment I hear a guy say that, it's a bit like you've rehearsed that in front of a fucking mirror. Um, I, I don't mind. I don't mind you believing it. It's just like yeah. it's also it's very. Just, it's infantilizing the, yeah. the best they can be to the best of their abilities, not the best they can be against a man. Because that's yeah. what it means. They're not ta- actually talking about empowerment. They're talking about you being as smart as you can be for a woman. You being as yeah. beautiful as you can be for a woman. And it was yeah. very obvious because, like, a lot of the retailers were saying, you know. Um, I get referred to as, um, you know, Paul's wife, even though it was my business. Yeah, and like by you know? by the two owners, like it became that the the men who did eventually like completely embrace the whole Lula Row thing became the kind of the center point. It was their business. Um, well, they so- used the men for marketing. They used the men to go on cameras and to sell stuff because it was reaching out to lonely women going, oh, these men like it when their wives wear this. I will wear this and therefore men will like me. Yeah. That was a huge uh, part of it. And it was also very much. Yeah. Yeah, there was the guy, I think his name is Paul, um, who was the, the guy with the goatee. Um, yeah. And he he was the one who said it's really insidious that the like the men are encouraged to like quit their jobs or the women are encouraged to get their husbands to quit their jobs, um, but like you know his his thing started as you know he got to play the kind of doddery guy who was like fishing through the stock on camera on like Facebook Live and like getting out and holding it up going oh this is a this is a nice one here and it like it became a bit of a. You know, he got to play up that kind of doddery bit in the first instance, and lots I'm of people just a liked it. I'm husband. I'm yeah. my wife in our successful business. Look how supportive I am. Yeah. Um, but it's it was very. 
so you know, I, the women that got divorced because of it and they lost their kids and they lost their houses yeah just, fuck the damage that happened was unreal and you have Diane treating it well they didn't try hard enough yeah. you know some people have, some people have got what it takes to succeed some people don't and I'm like I genuinely hope that the hell that you believe in exists just so you can go there yeah. and I just it was just so mean spirited like you saw the the videos of them doing these like live um videos when there was like the stock they were sending it was moldy it was rotten yeah and instead of being like shit we should probably you know look into this (laughs) you know they started going that must be something you did they were on all these live videos going me your my people are complaining that my stock is stale no you're stale what does that mean (laughs) they're literally being sent clothing that is rotted what are they supposed to do so, with it? And the, the thing was, um, is that the way that the company was set up as well was that they, they're a wholesaler, so they were selling to the retailers who were purchasing the stock from them, and mm-hmm. they weren't reimbursing any of the faulty stock that was sent out from the warehouse. And it was like, folk were saying that their leggings were, like, smelly, and that there was mold, and there was, you know, all sorts. And, like, one of them said... It like rats. Yeah. And one of them, one of them also said that they they received a like a box, and one of the leggings, like inside a plastic bag, was just like full of water, <laughs> and they had to like wring it out, and they were advised to, like put it in the freezer. <laughs> uh, and of course, like they can't sell this product, so it's like everything that was passed on to retailers that they couldn't sell was like an immediate loss to them, and they had to then try and sell their like the products that were okay a higher price to try and meet that Uh, and i think one of the things that was really clear is like all of these women were just living paycheck to paycheck because everything they sold went into purchasing more stock there was never any like savings or profit and any kind of extra that they they did get tended to be from the recruitment process um, and the and the bonuses that you would get from recruitment, and they were encouraged to not save those bonuses into any sort of meaningful kind of investment. It was like it was like go and get a Louis Vuitton bag and say that you got that on the back of Lula Rose business model. Um, so it was very yeah, the whole the whole thing was yeah. just incredibly fucking cursed. Um, it was. was it was very cursed viewing, and thank you for sitting through it. But yeah. it was just. I needed you to understand how insidious that type of thing oh, is. No, People, I, mean, I think it's easy to see the two the, the two folk at the head of it as obviously the masterminds behind it, but for me it was the fact that like all of their children got involved in the business, right? In a really like creepy way as in some of them were like head of sales one of them was head of training um and you saw because they also got deposed and you know a lot of them are pretending they just don't know fucking anything about their their job um there was one guy in particular whose whole role was just about um i think he even says it in the fucking videos because he's like there's an internal call where he's like right everyone we're making some changes to how the company operates you're not going to be getting paid these bonuses out you'll only get paid these bonuses based on sales um, because we want to move away from being a pyramid scheme straight up says it and it says it is like court, he was like no no i never said that and then they showed him the video and he was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like they're so 
they think they're so smart. They think they're yeah. never going to get caught out because they've been able to coast by on privilege. Yeah. And it, it really got to me that they kept talking about themselves as if they were poor growing up. And yeah, like, they absolutely fucking weren't. Yeah. No. It's like, my, you know, if your mother can take $3,000 and throw it down the stairs for a fun thing for the kids, you're not poor. Yeah. Or your mother's manic. One of the two. Um, Even still, was, like, again, three grand back in the 70s and just like. To do something like that, it's just poor. I, how much? I'm gonna look it up. How much was three grand in the center? Probably a fair amount. I mean, even even if you just took three grand as it is at the moment, you'd be like, "What the fuck?" Three grand in 1970 was twenty three thousand five hundred ninety dollars and ninety cents. Like, what the fuck? It's just. You what the what? a house for that back then, and she's throwing it down the stairs where we're going to get ice cream, and that was yeah. my mother teaching me what I could do if I worked hard, and I'm like, Ugh. and yet she's like, but we had nothing, and I'm like, you had something. Yeah, so yeah, you had lots. You had cars, and you had good clothes. What you didn't have was designer shit. Yeah. That's not the same thing as being deprived. That's not the same thing as growing up poor. Um, and it, they kept like, oh yeah, we came from nothing. No, you didn't. Yeah. You absolutely. If you there's there's more about them online. If you look into their history, it's they came from you know middle class background, which today doesn't even fucking exist. There's no such thing because yeah. everyone's one medical emergency in the U.S. away from total bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, and, but they were talking about how like oh well we worked hard. I'm sure you did put hours in. I'm sure you did put a lot of hours in and you spent your own money. And that is hard work. You did not make billions <laughs> on hard work. You made it on exploitation, which is yeah. the truth of anyone that makes billions. It's not made on hard work. It's made on exploitation. Um, yeah. And the fact that they had the gall to be like, well, some people just have what it takes to succeed. And I'm like, you deserve everything bad to happen to you. You deserve <laughs> your children to go to jail. You deserve to go to jail yourself. Yeah. Um, MLMs are legal in the US, but pyramid schemes aren't. So the, yeah. the deposition was to try and discern whether it was a MLM or a pyramid scheme. Yeah. And it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the Washington MLM. Washington State specifically have brought a, like, a, like the actual, I think it's the Attorney General for Washington has brought that charge to them. The, in, in civil court, at least, that they are very much a... So that, the thing is, what I thought MLM... Uh, uh, fucking easy for me to say. MLMs are technically pyramid schemes, but where they differ is apparently MLMs sell a good. They sell so, a product. So a, a, a pyramid scheme is arguably more focused on purely the recruitment factor, whereas MLMs get to claim that they are selling a good. Now... It, it depends on if you make more money from the good or if you make more money from recruitment. Yeah. That's the distinction. And the people at Lularo are making more money from recruitment, from recruitment than they were selling goods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. If you, it's like doTERRA, my old friend doTERRA, which everyone, if you've been on my Tumblr for a long time, you know that I've got fucking beef with doTERRA. I've got beef with their cultists. And I, they are cultists because they are brainwashed, unfortunately. Um, but they all, with at least with doTERRA, you can make more money from selling your scam essential oils versus recruitment you do get money for recruitment but it's not as much as what you get from actual sales um, and so that's why doTERRA is a mlm and not a pyramid scheme mm. 
I mean, I think it is, it's funny because I was, I was, we were talking about this after we'd watched it, but like, I feel like it's a very American thing. Yeah. Because like, I was trying to think of like, what's the big MLM scam in the UK? And it was like, Avon. well, Avon, you, I mean, yeah, I was thinking that, but then it was like, you, you do have the product, but I mean, yeah. people, people used to do Avon way, way back. And you know, your dad sells Avon is the, yeah. obviously that was the meme in Scotland. Yeah. For, yeah, it got overused horrendously. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, what I'm saying is I haven't heard anyone talk about Avon for fuck, like, I mean, it was probably early 2000s, I remember, when Avon was kicking around, but... So, the number of, the number, the top 10 MLMs in the UK, surprisingly, oh are Anne, Anne Summers. Anne Summers? What? Anne Summers, because you have the parties. So you have the women that host the parties and you go to these parties and then you sell the products to these women and then you also, that's what those are. This, this, the, you know, the, the lingerie parties and the toy parties do count as an MLM. They exist? So what the fuck? Yeah. I've not I been mean, invited to any of them. <laughs> I used to go to a lot of them because my pal worked for Ann Summers. Uh, cleanies, which I've never heard of, um, no. which looks like a cleaning company. Avon is number three. F&M Cosmetics is number four. Herbalife is number five. Herbalife's a big one over here as well. Number yeah. six is Utility Warehouse. Forever Living is number seven. Phoenix Trading. Uh, number nine is US Born. Number 10 is Party Light. Um, there's tons and tons and I mean, tons of them. All, all, them all I can say is that they're obviously not making any waves because I've not heard of ha- I've not heard of like I've only heard of Avon and Herbalife, but yeah. that was because Herbalife was mentioned in the documentary. Surprisingly, DoTerra is number eighteen. I thought that would be higher, but then again, there are independent essential oil companies in the UK, so maybe they're higher. Yeah. But the, Mary Kay is number twenty. Um, okay. But there's a lot of people in the comments on this place saying, I do this and it's not an MLM, it's a genuine business. And it's like, you know, we just make money from selling products at parties. That's an MLM, sweetheart. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, just that's the, the definition of what it is. I mean, to be fair, if you, had to, if you had to pick an MLM to be part of, you might as well have the dildo party one as opposed to the like. They were a lot of fun. They were, when I went to them, it was, you know. Whether like, you bought anything or not, it was just fun for a bit of a laugh. Like that was yeah. kind of I ran in when I was in my twenties. <laughs> um, but it was the Anne Summers one was one I knew about. I didn't think it would be the number one, but um, no. the Cleanies is a cleaning. Yeah, it looks like a cleaning product thing. And then Avon's okay. number three. I think it runs. I think it's stronger in certain types of communities. I think Avon's probably still a thing in people by parents' age. Um, I don't think it's so much a thing for us because we get so much of our marketing through places like Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. I can see my mum getting an Avon catalogue from her friend. I can very easily see that. Yeah, that's, um, that's fair. It's but, just, uh, it, it, it really doesn't strike me as something that, like, I mean, it's, I suppose it's maybe something like an auntie would get into. But like, I, I don't see many young people yeah. going out and chasing it, and I, I like I don't know many people my age or anyone I was at school with who is like completely entrenched in an MLM. Um, well, it's and just I'm, 
great because of things like Instagram influencers. You don't need to be part of a company anymore. You can be online, have a presence and get approached by companies. Yeah. That I think is the biggest difference because a lot of my, a lot of the authors I talk to, some of them are younger than me. Um, and they're like, oh, I'm getting offers from these companies. Should I take it? I'm like, not if you want to have any reputability of having any sort of, your, you know, telling the truth. Yeah. Um, I get offers all the time to talk about wellness stuff. I'm yeah. not, in, you know, unless it is genuinely something that I use, I do not talk about it. Um, I, I get offers <laughs> time for like supplements and vitamins and health cures and tonic teas. And I'm like, I mean, I could wipe out all of my medical debt if I took these on, but I would go to hell because I wouldn't. <laughs> um, See, I'm, just, I'm constantly bombarded with offers for like, sponsorships for like mobile games so like raid shadow legends like fucking top war there's one called like swords and shields or some shit and it's like you're constantly sent this stuff and it's like and it is is that kind of thing where it was like you'd have to record a video of you playing it and you're in the bottom left of the screen and you have to pretend to be like really fucking into the game and it's like Wow, I'm so addicted. I'm addicted to this mobile game. Let me make a video about it. And And to be fair, I do get addicted to some of my mobile games because I get hyperfixation. Yeah, which is fine. I'm not going to promote that to other people because that's an unhealthy coping mechanism on my part. The thing thing for me that makes these really predatory is the fact that they they say, oh, we'll give you all the assets and stuff that you need to do. You just need to, like, you know, do your recording or stream or whatever it is. Um, But to to get any money from it you need a certain number of people in your community to not just download the app via your link they also need to purchase something from the from the store and it's like wait so it's not enough that i get them onto your app like you know i'm doing all of this free labor and then it requires people that trust me to then fucking go and give money to you get fucked i'm not getting involved with that that's just no. rank yeah it's fucking bogging care i mean i'll i'll have a wee look at you just just now i'll pull something up for you joy you can wax lyrical yeah, I, <laughs> I was thinking like the because there's amazon influencer programs now and i have a generic amazon affiliate account that i use um, to promote my books because it helps me regroup the costs I lose in distribution fees through Amazon. That is primarily why I use it. If someone asks me for a product and tells me to use an affiliate link because they want to give me a kickback, I will do that. But I genuinely, when I link to things, I don't do it. I only do it for my books, and that's why you see affiliate link on there. I've also got affiliates for Apple, Barnes & Noble, and I think Kobo. Um but you have to declare it. And so many people don't. I mean, I've gone on this rant a million times on this podcast. Mm. There's so many people just do not declare that it's an yeah. affiliate link. And that's against the law in the US. Um, the IRS will come for you. And it's bizarre to me. Like, I've never, like, I, I take supplements daily because of all my health stuff. Not sponsored. I'm not going to show you the brand name. But, like, I get all these things daily from places that are not, you know, we are lab verified. I'd fucking hope so. It's a supplement. But, like, they also they can't verify to me what is verified you know is it the capsule that's verified is it the ingredients that's verified and then they go oh well you know you just have such a large following of you know healthful mindful people we think you'd be a good fit and i'm like no i'm not being recruited into this i'm not saying i'm i'm not doing it even if it wasn't illegal for me to do it in the uk 
which is not because once you get over 30,000 followers, you legally cannot promote supplements in the UK, which I think is a good thing. Um, but it's just false hope for a lot of people because unless you have deficiencies like I do, taking masses of supplements isn't going to help you. Yeah. Like that's, you know, the only reason I take all these is because my body doesn't hold on. I can't get nutrients from food. My body just doesn't do that. Um, my stuff is medically prescribed. I have doctors that prescribe it. I'm not just going to trust somebody on the internet that says, I cured myself by taking this. And I'm like, cool, what did you cure? Was it a deficiency? Because <laughs> that's the only thing you will cure with taking them. Yeah. Um, oh, no, it's I cured my autism. No, you didn't. Doubt. Sorry. No you, no, you didn't. And that's also what we're going to talk about later with the Bodax trend. Um yeah, because we're, we're going to come on to that. Sorry, yeah. just just before we do, though, um, so to give you a bit of an idea, I currently have 10 sponsorships offered to me um, via a, a, a streaming plugin that I use, um, which is essential for a lot of the streaming stuff that I do. Um, it's just that they also dangle sponsorships as a big add-on to that. So one of the things they would like me to do is they want a bunch of, like, free free labor they want me to advertise raid shadow legends they wanted me to stream with a raid shadow legends branded overlay they want me to promote raid shadow legends by playing it in a chat with a bot uh, in the chat for two hours i need to stream for two hours um, and then i will earn a whopping 45 dollars for the first five viewers who participate in the promotion and by that i mean registering with raid shadow legends and creating an, ac an account they then need to complete raid shadow legends to level 12 and then i get a bonus if they reach level 25 now that's not 25 fights and you're suddenly there that's like ranking up which is like for a game like that you're then being asked to pay like you know you want all of the five star units and all this utter shit and it's like i get 45 fucking quid and they that is, ridiculous. That is but, such exploitation but, of your but, labor but but if if they get if if a bunch of people get up to level 25 bonus goals are available that could earn me up to $600 and it's like how many fucking people will one do that at all so I could I could do that on my stream I could get 60 people to sign up only three of them will make it to fucking level you know six in the first thing the rest will get fucking bored and delete it and then I'll only get a pay for all for all that effort for two hours of streaming the game and two hours of shilling for this fucking soulless mobile game is like absolutely get fucked. I wouldn't touch that with the fucking barge pole. Um, and I suppose like I, again, I know that some people potentially are in an extremely desperate situation and would feel like this is a great opportunity for them to make rent this month. And if th you feel like that, that's that's fine. But these people are earning money off the back of you and you deserve a lot more compensation. I would say yep. mandatory, you need compensation up front for this. I think the conditions attached to you actually getting paid are disgusting. Like, 
honestly just avoid at all costs like the fact that so many people need to sign up and get to a certain point in the game imagine if they did that for real fucking games imagine if you know i was playing the wandering village on friday imagine if like one of the things for them to like if i got sponsored by the wandering village you had to like complete a certain fucking amount of the game you had to complete 50 percent of the game for you for, for to get paid yeah that's i mean yeah no none no video game retailer would do that like they'd be like oh yeah uh you've paid for this but we don't get the money until you've completed 50 percent of the game yeah i mean uh, another one star trek fleet command up to one thousand five hundred dollars i could earn and it's like for for every character for every player that follows my link and gets to level 10 i get an additional 20 dollars and it's like i don't know how the leveling system works in that game but i just think that that's ridiculous um Basically, if you ever hear I and I talking about Raid Shadow Legends, as in we're being sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends, assume we've been kidnapped and replaced <laughs> by pod people, because that's the only way it's going to happen on this channel. But, there's um, going to be AI bots of us, Joy. Yeah. <laughs> Level 10's piss easy. I know it's only endorsed, but I, I just, I can't. I can't, in, as, as much as it would help pay for my fucking boiler, I can't inflict that on people. Getting over 10 is hard for free to play. There you go. That's the issue. So it is level 10 plus is what they say. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's really, it is exploitive. As, as Onyx is saying in the, you know, the chat, if you were poor enough that that is enticing, you would do it, but you're about to get exploited for your labor. Yeah. Um, you'd, on, you'd honestly make more money as an Amazon affiliate and putting recommendations to products on a blog somewhere. Because that's yeah. also how a lot of, you know, um, stay-at-home mums make money. They have their blogs and they recommend products. I literally yeah. bought something that was recommended on a, I, um, it was a recipe blog. And I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. And it was, you know, she she declared her affiliate links. I'm going, right, that's fine. You've declared them. I don't mind giving you that cut back because you've actually been honest and declared it. Yeah. Um, I bought a canning, a, like a jam strainer thing for making my, the jellies and jams that I make oh, nice. and it was actually, it was a really good product and mm. I was like I'm really glad I read that blog and I clicked on that but so many of them just read you know like um they'll put like affiliate links for like toilet paper and like toothpaste and like this is how I cured my son's autism by you know like this product specifically and I'm like I hate Jesus. you I physically hate you when you use that type of you know the affiliate thing and you put it in terms of words and cures I yeah. don't mind when it's like I don't mind when it's like here's the cooking blog that I do and here's the equipment I have. That I don't care about. That's wonderful. Do what you do. Um but I understand why people don't like it. Which is why unless someone says to me, um, can you give me the affiliate link for it? I do not post affiliate links. Because I don't mm. want to feel like I'm shilling things to people. The only thing I'm I'm shilling is my books. That's it. Yeah. Um, and people get mad. People get mad enough at me for doing that as it is as well. And I'm like, sorry for wanting to be paid for my labor. I'm, <laughs> it's like I'm. I'm so glad that there's not that for like gaming yet, like mainstream gaming. Because like, man, if if you were able to like recommend a game to someone and like on Steam and like people would fucking grab from that, it'd be awful. It would be absolutely atrocious. Um, anyway, so why are people on TikTok drinking, what's it called? Borax. 
Oh, I, I thought it was like I thought it was Lorax, and we were about to get more Wunsler discussions. No, um. God no. Uh, otherwise known as OxyClean in some places. Okay, that's what that... people are drinking. Why um, are, is is um, that just bleach, so right? This this no, it's like a powder. It's not bleach. It's like a powder. It's like a, a non-chlorine whatever it is, um, and you put it in your washing to make it look white. You use it as a pest killer. It's in a bunch of stuff to kill animals. It, I cannot emphasize enough: do not drink borax. I and it pisses like so. This is one of the main reasons I resisted TikTok as long as I did was because I knew as a disabled person I would start getting certain things on my feed, and it's usually kind of wellness stuff. And this ties back to MLMs because the borax drinking crowd comes from. I know, sorry, Lego, I know they're putting Clodial Silver in their eyes. That's not new. The Borax thing is new. Um, but the MLM stuff comes from a very place of take charge of your own destiny, which was what we saw in LulaRoe, was take charge of your own destiny, be empowered, be your own boss, you know. And the wellness aspects of MLMs is what leads to people doing things like the Borax cleanse. And the current claim on TikTok is that drinking Borax cures joint pain autism gi problems and i'm like yes it will it will eventually cure those things because it will kill you you can't have those things if you're dead that is the only way borax will cure any of that um but it tends to be conservative white stay-at-home mums who are doing it and it's i think a reaction to knowing that the healthcare system in the u.s is failing um it's the the knowledge that capitalism is failing us as a, you know over here so badly, and it's them trying to take back control of something and be like, I'm going to go the all natural route, and it's like, yeah, borax is natural, so is arsenic, and you can't even say to them so cyanide because there are people that are chewing on cherry pits because they think the cyanide will help kill parasites that live in their gut, and you just kind of have to stare. I stayed at my For You page on TikTok and I can feel the hope for humanity leaving my body. Um, as Blur likes to say, um, so is nuclear radiation. There are some people that I would not put it past them to be like, I'm going to go drink some water that's been sitting in uranium because it will cure me. Um, and it's very... It's very insidious because they're saying things like, oh, this gets rid of all the toxins from the vaccine because the vaccines made people sick. And that, you know, if you drink the borax, it will make you feel better. Well, actually, what may be happening is they feel better because they feel as if they're back in control of their life. Um, and th there's a big thing on like witch talk as well at the minute, which is drinking fermented lemon juice will cure parasites. And there's stories about Lassie saying, oh, I drank this fermented lemon juice and 30 minutes later, worms fell out of my vagina. I didn't even know they were in there. Oh, my God, it's so gross. And I'm like, that's not how this works. If lemon juice could kill parasites, we wouldn't need medications. But then the, the argument for that is that, you know, oh, well, Big Pharma wants you to stay sick because it makes money. And it's like, OK, what about countries where we don't pay for healthcare? What about countries where it comes at your tax and you're not paying through the nose? Why do they still have medicine? And they have no argument for that. Um, and it's just, it's such an insidious thing because it's the same type of people that tell you to drink essential oils. It's the same people that have drank the Kool-Aid 
from MLMs like doTERRA that are telling you, take back your health by drinking essential oils. And I'm like, you are only going to give yourself kidney failure. And it frustrates me because I'm someone who was in, you know, the alternative lifestyle. Like I was put into that whole thing as a kid because my parents were had trauma from the medical system. So they went the other route. They went, well, obviously our children are sick because of the medical industry. We should go all natural. In reality, we were sick because we had a genetic disorder we didn't know we had. Um, but you have these people on TikTok who are willing to exploit that. Like I literally get things telling me, oh, you have EDS, you should drink Borax because it helps with joint pain. And I'm like, no. And then they argue with you. They, they try and argue with you with science, but it's not science. It's just pseudoscience. Um, and it's it's a very reactive need for these people to feel in control. And unfortunately, that feeling the need for control is driving them to drink poison. And eyes just completely silent. <laughs> it's just staring. <laughs> I mean, like... I'm, I'm gonna have to try and be diplomatic, Joy, which is fucking annoying. You're putting me in weird positions. Like, wh why? Like, why do these. Like, I think. Sorry, I'm gonna jump back quickly to the Lula Rue thing because I think this is an important mm -hmm. one. But I think. I find it quite interesting that chances are a lot of the people who have jumped from the, like, the Borax trend or whatever. Like, and I think what they were saying was like the nature of MLMs is that there is a specific type of person who loves that shit and like that will be their, like, that'll be their thing. They, they like, they, they, they just get passed around MLMs for mm -hmm. the rest of their, their day. And I'd say that, that attitude of like, you know, going into the mindset of, yeah, this all cleanse me. The people fucking inventing that worms are falling out their vagina. Thank you very much for that imagery. That wasn't at all mentally scarring. <laughs> um, like, I, I don't. I think there, there's there's like a deeper. I, I feel like there's a, a psychologically deeper thing at play for someone to believe that stuff. And I think I'm not sure if it's loneliness and isolation, and they find community and people who all believe that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of a conspiratorial streak to a lot of them if they're then thinking that you know the vaccines have introduced toxins and parasites that must be purged. But it's like it's very. Um, it's, I don't know. I suppose maybe my like, I, like if if someone if someone was to say that to me and like, I feel like it's maybe something that was also really really boosted just by online because I feel like lots of people are way more likely to kind of agree online maybe for that sense of community. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people say, well, maybe it's the reverse because you'd be more inclined to agree in person because you don't like that sort of like confrontation. But if someone came up to me in the street and started fucking spouting that, I would I would just absolutely not entertain them. But then again, I suppose I'm not the target audience for these kind of things. Like I, I don't I don't think I'd ever be sucked into an MLM and I think a lot of people with a certain degree of um awareness and dare I, dare I say intelligence there's probably a little bit that comes in there I think it's, there's 
it can There's, be emotional intelligence rather that, than yeah. actual intelligence intelligence. It can yeah. be if, you know, how vulnerable are you? How victimized have you been? What is your emotional intelligence like? Because speaking as someone who came from that world in my teens, I was, you know, my parents were fully going down the rabbit hole. I was an indigo starseed child, which if you're not right. aware of what that is, it's the nice way of saying, you know, it was the, the term was invented so that because autism was a bad thing no no you're not autistic you're not adhd you're an indigo star child from another planet here to teach us a lesson about introspection and being special that's what i grew up with and i came from that world of you know oh just drink the the, the herbal supplement because it'll be better for you than medicine i think a lot of people come from that being very emotional and very vulnerable and as a teenager i don't mean to brag i'm intelligent I, when people were telling me things, I was kind of going, that doesn't seem right, but there's so many adults in my life saying that it is. Yeah. Um, and I was isolated within that community. I was very much told, you know, like the reason you're on this planet, the reason I was in chronic pain, I was told, was because I was put on this planet to absorb the pain of others. It wasn't my pain I was feeling. I was absorbing it from others because that was my role. And that's the kind oh. of isolation that these things. I've, been in therapy a long time because no 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 the guy, I, I, I totally get that I think I suppose that, I mean this is where like your experience will be like infinitely more valuable because like for me this is really difficult for me to wrap my head around because like yeah. I, I, I wouldn't entertain that for a fucking second and I know that it's very different if you've been like raised into it but I suppose what I'm saying is surely like it's different if you're born and you're like raised in this, but there is a defining moment where someone who is already an adult starts to think these things. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of it with the kind of like the right wing pipeline and you've seen some people go right down the fucking rabbit hole when it came to like yeah. COVID vaccines and stuff. And it's like, at what point is that? And I suppose, that, like, you know, maybe it's just a how many conspiratorial hooks can you get in one individual? If you Chances are, if you can convince someone of the, the slight chance of one thing, there'll be more hooks that you're able to get in on, on other things. I mean, I think there's obviously, yeah. I'd say there won't maybe a scale of conspiracy. Uh, people talk about the conspiracy iceberg, actually, where it's like, you know, you can start off with something relatively surface level and can be quite generic, and you can go right down into the fucking abyss. It's like, you know, it would be hard to convince... Speaking, speaking you know, it's it depends on how isolated a person has become and like you're saying it can start with a normal thing in my case with my parents it was we had a incident of medical abuse that was yeah. horrific in our family and it was actually um, when my brother was born the doctor dropped my brother on his head which is how he ended up disabled and mm. then the hospital lied and said my mother made it up Jesus, yeah. I can see how and that would shake. That would make you go, I don't trust doctors. That yeah. was the foundation of my life. And then unfortunately, as an adult, I had doctors who um, looked at my... Our family got tarnished by the NHS because of that, because my mother tried to sue the NHS. She wasn't trying... She wasn't suing for damages. She wanted that doctor struck off. The mm -hmm. NHS claimed he never existed. She had to sue for 10 years to get my brother's medical files. 
And then they, she found when she got them, the all of the stuff about his birth had been blacked out, so she couldn't even read it. And that was legal at the time. Jesus um, and we got blacklisted. So every time I went to an NHS doctor as a child, it was this family can't be trusted. The mother's neurotic. The daughter probably is too. Um, and it became a full on, you cannot trust doctors, just go to the herbalist. That's well, where that that's started. It's, it can start with one incident. It doesn't have to be as horrific as that. Yeah. But it can start with, I went to the doctor for, you know, I have, I was, my, you know, my period's painful. The doctor told me it's because I'm fat. And you can have, a, you know, endometriosis is a thing. It's excruciating. And the amount of women who don't get seen before it because it's all about women's issues. Don't you even know. get me fucking started on that, Josh. <laughs> no, that's, I'm, yeah. That can be how it starts. It can literally be, well, I'm going to go see, the, uh, you know, a naturopath. And the naturopath gives you validation. They help you. Yeah. And so you go with them for everything. I, mean, I, I, you know, I'm not against naturopaths. I think some of them are very helpful. I just make sure that they're MD qualified first. Mm. But there are some of them who, once they get into you, they go, well, you just have to keep removing toxins from your environment. And you, they want you to live basically in a, a, you know, a mud hut somewhere and live as pure as possible. Yeah. And it's the obsession with purity that really takes hold in these certain types of things but you it can start with basic things like the doctor just isn't listening to me yeah and that can be very isolating it is very you know to you know the person that's supposed to help you isn't helping you yeah that's how it starts i, 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 I mean I, I think that's absolutely spot on i mean like with uh for those of you who don't know my partner jessica um has uh endometriosis and like that definitely shook my faith in the NHS because I ran into so many fucking doctors. In fact, it wasn't until I attended one of her appointments that the doctor would even consider, oh, there might be a bit more to this. Mm-hmm. And all the fucking infantilizing shit that she had to put up with in her fight to even get fucking considered for an endometriosis diagnosis and you can't diagnose it without surgery that's one of the things like you can you can go for all the scans under the sun and you cannot confirm endometriosis until you have laparoscopic surgery and just the fucking endless struggle was just you know it like we we talk about it now i mean you know jessica's pain is starting to get a bit better because she's on um better medication and stuff like that but like that that and obviously covid has essentially wiped out our 20s you know i mean we've we're coming up together like you know six years and like from maybe a year into our relationship it was just like chronic pain and agony and you know not being able to do a lot of stuff so you know i i can definitely see how that shakes the faith i suppose what i'm also just saying is like how how does one who maybe doesn't encounter a lot of those problems, because like you said, there's quite a lot of um, wealthy kind of middle-class stay-at-home mums in the US who are getting completely onboarded with stuff like this. Um, and I suppose back to the Lula Rose stuff is like, are we seeing the same kind of tangent for um, the kind of like, submissive stepford wife kind of thing it's, and like the other it, it, it is very much the same thing it is very you know the the whole 
the trad wife trend that's coming up. Um, I think I reblogged. I think you might have reblogged something that I reblogged on Tumblr, and it was a woman talking about how since she quit her job and became a stay-at-home mum, her hormones balanced, and she went back into the natural rhythm of taking care of the home because that's yeah, what her oh, hormones fuck. wanted. And I was like, <laughs> that's not what's happening. It was a great amount of stress was removed from you. It's not because you're hormonally meant to be a homemaker. It's because you were under undue stress because capitalism is killing all of us. <laughs> yeah. I was just, it made me so angry. But there is a huge emphasis on returning to the way things were. And I'm like, mm. no, because the way things were weren't actually the way things were. It's a yeah. mythology of like these kind of, they go back to these, well, well, we made it in the pioneer days. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You died in childbirth after your fourth child. <laughs> there, was, there was a guy that I saw um, post, uh, you know, there's like, there, there is this right wing like Tory voter view of England at the moment, which is like huge knife crime, acid attacks, uh, jihadist gangs running around. You know, like it's it's so like dialed up to eleven. And <laughs> I saw someone tweet it, and it was like um, they posted a picture of a very idyllic English like country scene that has <laughs> that has the postman riding a bicycle into the like to deliver the the letters and all this kind of shit and it was like this is what it was like when i grew up we had <laughs> they had no knives <laughs> no, no no crime no ever. no jihadist gangs uh yeah there might be a bit of flickering on my uh, camera i might just be my whole everything's falling apart here <laughs> everything is just a disaster um i don't know why but it, it, but it is a very mythologized idea of how things were yeah and it's like it was like oh but there's no autism back in the day and it's like yeah there was but you called it being taken away by the fairies you t- you called the t- child a changeling yeah. You know, it's like the only reason there's so much autism now is because it's diagnosed. I mean, the first person to ever be diagnosed with autism only just died recently. Yeah. We only it's have like... the understanding of these things in recent history. It didn't not exist. We just, we thought it was fairies. We thought yeah. it was like, you know, like idiocy was a medical definition until very, very recently. It's um, weird because, like, you know, it's had different names. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things just um, on the topic of this kind of mythology is that, like, I mean, I'm I'm seeing there's almost two different mythologies. There's like the the slightly older person's like, oh, this is you know, when I grew up, it was great. But I'm starting to see like people who are maybe a wee bit older than me, maybe like the kind of late thirties, like mythologizing like early two thousands as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like the early two thousands. Or shite. They were awful. We had they were like, the ozone layer that we managed to fix. Somehow, they were like, but it was just... shite. <laughs> like, you know, we we didn't have half the stuff that we we do now, and it just seems weird. I mean, like I saw there was a there was a bit in the paper today about. Um, I don't read the paper. I just see articles. Um, but they were they were saying how. Glasgow has has changed and it's it's dirty and minging and the town centre's not like a European town centre and it's like well yeah but I mean like 10-20 years ago it wasn't fucking like that either 
you no. know it wasn't a bustling European city I mean it was the fucking I think Glasgow is the only city that was voted the knife crime capital of Europe and the friendliest city in Europe in the same month um, well, they'll stab you but they'll also show you where the hospital is that's you know yeah. that's how Glasgow is but it is a very nostalgic kind of like oh like and I think that comes from a lot of imperialism and jingoism because Glasgow was the second city of the empire yeah that's where that came from but it was never a bustling hive like London was it was just the second city of the empire because of industry and it was the second city of the empire because of slavery yeah. We are not nostalgic for that. No. We should not be nostalgic <laughs> for that. We should be ashamed. And I, the fact that people go, oh, well, we're not the second city of the empire anymore. Aye, because there's no fucking empire anymore. And good. Yeah. We shouldn't be. It's, um, I think like the way that the UK kind of just is, is just such a fucking cluster. I mean, I, I don't want to jump onto a completely new topic, but some of the shit in UK politics at the moment honestly makes you like despair um, like, what the hell is going on with Labour you need to I've, I've been seeing <laughs> what the fuck is happening with Labour okay so I mean the, like we know that the Tories are collapsing right the next general election chances are will return a Labour government right and this is after 10 years of like Tory rule longer actually um to be honest, we'll probably be closer to 15. Um, but for whatever reason, even though the to- the Tories are completely collapsing and there is no need to try and scrape voters away from the Tories, Labour is going absolutely full throttle to adopt like right-wing policies. They're basically... I say adopt right-wing policies they're basically u-turning on all of their left-wing policies they're saying that they will have to keep everything exactly the same so one of the um one of the policies that they were talking about having to keep because there's no money um you know there's labor are adopting this um attitude of like fiscal responsibility and I think this has always been the problem with New Labour, kind of post-Tony Blair, um, was that with Tony Blair, you kind of brought in that they, like Labour want to be good managers. They think they can manage things better than the Conservatives can. And that means that they can be more efficient managers at all of the Tories' abhorrent policies. So it's like... Um, I don't know the exact mechanism, but there's like cogs that like they hold, and there's like a a, a line um, or like a mechanism that holds a cog in place. And every time the cog turns, the line kind of clicks and locks itself in, but it doesn't actually push the cog back into reverse. And I feel like that is exactly what Labour like Labour ratchet theory. That's it, solidly endorsed. Thank you. So basically, Labour hold everything in place for the Tories to then push it even further right. So Labour think that they can um, manage the immigration system better. As a matter of fact, they say that um, the the Tories haven't done enough when it comes to deporting people, right? And this is after Windrush and all of the fucking shit that we see um, with, like, you know, the channel and, like, some of the rhetoric that comes out of the Home Office and the detention centres. 
Labour think they can be better managers at this. And another policy that um, was obviously hated when the Tories brought it in, but it was, it was the two-child cap. So the two-child cap is a cap on the benefit, so child benefit that you're able to receive. So you, you like you can you can have two children. There's you can have three children. You can have four children, but you will only ever receive child benefit for two, unless. So before we go into this content warning, going to be talking about rape and sexual assault. So it's never a nice topic, but one of the caveats for if you are able to claim uh, for a third child child benefit. The person who's claiming would have to fill out documentation that confirmed that that child was the product of rape. Um, so that that that's known as the rape clause. So the rape clause was inserted into this two-child cap. The idea was that the person who was applying for that child benefit had to put in writing that that child was the product of of rape. Um, had to go into detail on it, had to um, completely recount what happened, um, evidence like had they made a police report um, was taken into consideration, all this kind of stuff. So the big thing was uh, Labour saying that they'll keep the two-child cap. And naturally by doing so that means they're quite happy for the rape clause to be in place. Um, and they shrug their shoulders and say, um, oh, well, that's that's just because we've got no money to do anything. No one fine well. And, you know, we could, we could spend a whole fucking other podcast on this, but that's not how government and central banks work. They can create that money to spend on it. And everyone always talks about inflation, but there are mechanisms in place that the government can create money to pay for capital projects, for welfare, all that kind of stuff. So that's something that they're able to do. So Labour naturally have come out with this and they have been getting pilloried by all of the left ever since. I do not understand how there are still people in the left wing of Labour who can endorse the party's policies. Because Keir Starmer and everyone in his fucking shadow cabinet are going to just replace the Tories and continue on exactly as normal. There is nothing that's going to change. Sorry, Joy. Go on. Labour was the party that, within my parents' lifetime, was the party that represented working-class people who were being starved by an unjust government. Yeah, so modern government. Yeah, modern labor's told everyone who believed that to uh, get fucked. Um, one of the other things that they've done um, in the past couple of days actually was they were negotiating with unions. Um, so unions have obviously historically trade unions that is have historically backed the labor movement. Who would have thought, right? Um, labor. Yeah, right. Where it comes from? It was a union. It was a labor. Okay, sorry. Yes. So, <laughs> well, what's happened is that the unions were all pushing for, like, a universally recognised worker status in the UK. So, for example, anyone, regardless of age or anything like that, the moment you enter the world of work, you are a worker and you are, like, afforded those rights. 
right? That makes sense. So it means that, for example, you can't pay someone who's 18 to 21 years old less than someone who is 21 to 25 years old. And in turn, you can't pay the 21 and 25 year old less than the worker. And this is like, this is like a flat salary for the same job that is as well. So it's not like junior and senior positions. That's, that's like a different thing. But it's like, if, you know, someone who's, who's 16 and starts at, you know, a certain bit of work, they need to be paid. If they're doing the same job as someone who's older than them, they need to be paid the same amount, right? Which makes sense. Uh, and Labour's, Labour's just went, nah. <laughs> like, they're, they're really, really pushing, uh, pushing back on all of the unions, kind of. I mean, because this thing, like, Labour getting into power have the ability, I mean, they potentially will have a massive majority, right? And th this is kind of the natural ebb and flow of, like, politics when you've got a two-party system. Eventually the country gets sick of one group and they just switch. And it is, like, a momentous, like, switch. So Labour will be in a position to potentially pass quite a lot of good things, but they're just not going to do it because they have since adopted this fiscal responsibility pish. I mean, there's really no difference between Labour's um, finance person, Rachel Reeves, and, and, you know, the Tory finance minister. There's not that much between them. And unfortunately, this is also a product of a kind of political class of people who all go to the same schools, who are all buddy-buddy with each other. And, like, Obviously, all politics, there is this certain level of, like, pantomime-ness about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I can't watch fucking Westminster anymore because it is just dog shit. It is, like, it's fucking outright pantomime and they, they bray at each other and, you know, it just none of it is... It is pointless and it's really sad to see, like... I mean, you might have seen that Mary Black is not standing again to be M MP. Yeah. And it's just because she's, like, fucking scunnered with the whole place. It's just... It's... In, like, the whole place is just insidious as fuck. Because you've got... You know, she was saying that uh, an MP advised her that if she was not a multi-millionaire within five years of being an MP, she was doing it wrong. And it's like, what's the, what's the, the point fucking point? Of going into politics is not to gain power; it is to serve your community. Yeah, it's to serve point your of leadership community, is not country. Power. The point of leadership, leadership is service. Yeah, but like, this is yeah, this is where it's um, yeah. I'm taking so, painkillers because that gave me a migraine. Uh, <laughs> that actually gave me my blood pressure spike so hard. I, I mean, so I, there was a, there was a. <laughs> sorry, this is another really funny thing. I say funny thing. It's just like funny, just how fucking stupid and incompetent a lot of people in in labour are. But like, there's obviously there's the labour movement, right? Which are all like all good people. And then there's the label, the Labour Party, and the Labour Party attracts this certain group of people who are being referred to on kind of Twitter at the moment as like the briefcase layer. They're like the really young people in the party, probably like eighteen to twenty-five year olds. that are absolutely like kissing ass at the moment to try and get that that leg up, and. Um, 
one of the by-elections that happened recently because people were resigning and, and whatnot, um, they elected a, a 25-year-old Labour guy, right, who is like straight out, straight out of Oxford. Um, while he was at Oxford, he did work for a Tory MP. He's now a Labour MP. He's now the young. He's now the youngest Labour MP. He's the youngest MP in the House, I think. Um, and it was like the first, the first question he was asked after he was elected was, "What was your thoughts on the ch- two child cap? And do you do you endorse what Keir Starmer has been saying?" And he just, it was like, it was robotic. His like his response was like so like pre-programmed. It was like they'd made this perfect little labour boy in like a factory somewhere and he was like, yes, because where's the money going to come from? We need to be fiscally responsible. And you're just like, fuck's sake. Um, But one of the other by-elections, Labour uh, lost because they treated all their activists in the constituency like shit. So the they shipped up a bunch of staffers from London to run the campaign locally um, and for those of you who know much about political campaigning you're like you're canvassing and stuff like that so you're going around the doors and you're like you're making sure that your voters turn out to go and vote for you um, all this kind of stuff so you're on, a, you're on your feet a lot of the day and a lot of the kind of campaign like headquarters or whatever um they they give you you know biscuits and tea and you know you might be out for a couple of hours and then you can come back and you can get a wee bit of a refresh and you can go so <laughs> labor staffers it was it was pointed out on twitter that there was like nothing like that on offer for um for any activists that showed up to do work in their own free time uh, you know they were not they weren't getting paid to campaign or anything like that um but apparently all the staffers ordered a, a Domino's, but then took it into like a separate room and ate it away from the activists. And someone pointed this out, uh, and all of the staffers like just turned on people. And, or like on this is all taking place publicly on Twitter on the day of the by-election, and like they, they're saying you're not, you know, you're not here to to eat biscuits and put your feet up you're here to campaign you better get out there and stuff like that and they're sitting like absolutely pigging out on dominoes in like another room somewhere they they, they shut the door so they didn't need to speak to the activists and they funnily enough they lost the by-election by a couple of hundred votes and I it's like why. it's like maybe you don't treat your activists like shit and who knows they might even because you know what happens if you don't give them like teas and coffees in a place where they can rest in between going out they go home and then guess what they don't really come back to go and do more campaigning um but yeah so it's just been they were treating them like hired staff yeah but paying them or giving them anything yeah that's exactly it and of course like for I imagine there's probably quite a few American people or people from outside of the UK who are watching this, but just to add even more shit into the mixture. um, So Scottish Labour are the Labour Party in Scotland. They answer to the UK Labour Party. They are not an independent entity. But Scottish Labour, by nature of being in Scotland, has to 
kind of lean towards more progressive policies because that's where Scottish politics has been for quite a while. Uh, you know, Scottish the uh, the Scottish Parliament has never had uh, a majority conservative. Uh, we never had a conservative first minister. Um, so there's a whole whole bunch of stuff there. Um, I noticed that Ashradel, you're asking what canvassing is. So canvassing is when you go out and like chap doors in the run up to a kind of election. Um, particularly on the day of the election, it's to make sure that your voters turn out. So some canvassing can be to like check that you're, um, you know, are do you, you know, are you still here? Are you still at this address? Are you a supporter of us? You know, it kind of confirms all that. But then canvassing can also be like. Are you, have you voted today? When are you going to vote? Are you make sure you vote? We really need your vote. Um, so it's just to make sure that like all the doors are chapped because some people need reminded and all this sort of stuff. And yes, you can interact with this stream, so don't worry about uh, dropping yeah. questions in. Um, but yeah, so on the on the Scottish Labour side, you've got to have Scottish Labour who are kind of leaning a little bit more to the uh, the the left of things um, as they kind of should be, to be honest. But you've got. Scottish Labour MSPs, that's members of Scottish Parliament, who are mm-hmm. speaking out against L- the UK Labour wanting to keep the two-child cap. You've got the head of Scottish Labour backing the leader of UK Labour and saying that this is a great idea. And then you've got the Scottish Labour MP, because there's only one, the Scottish Labour MP also sitting on the fence between the two. He, Scottish, yeah, Scottish Labour's been wishy-washy for a long time when it comes the, to having any sort of backbone. They, um, they would be immediately freed to do so much if they were just a separate entity from UK yes, Labour. Yes, they would. They would. Like, but they, they can't they can't do that. And they also they hate the Scottish National Party and they hate the Greens because they've essentially moved into a space i'd say greens are definitely more left than the smp are but they like they've smp kind of stole labor's place as the being on on the kind of left and this uk labor shifted further right yeah the working class party which scotland primarily is working class and the smp wasn't for a long time it sat kind of like pro-business and all the rest of it and to be fair they need to really up their game on business in general but they do but the the way that uk labor shifted right has kind of dragged scottish labor into a position that's like kind of untenable because it's like you've you've got i mean scottish labor are gonna be like chapping the doors and being confronted with people going but you guys endorse the two child cap and scottish labor have to say well we don't but uk labor does so it's like oh well why should we fucking vote for you in the general election then if that's just going to get funneled into to that mm-hmm. um sorry there's like two other things that are like it's, it's been it's been a shit show joy so back to the two child cap one of the things that's been fucking ridiculous is there's been people in Labour and people in Scottish Labour in particular see that the Scottish government could have gotten rid of the two-child cap, right? So the the two-child cap introduced at Westminster by the British government, the Scottish government 
could have gotten rid of the two-child cap and made sure it didn't impact anyone in Scotland, right? Now, so far. Yep. How they would like the Scottish government to address that is we can't vote it away because it's being imposed. They would want us to make sure that it doesn't exist in Scotland by mitigating it with a portion of the budget that we receive from Westminster. So Westminster impose the policy, give us the spending money, and we then use some of that spending money to basically make sure it's not passed down to people at an individual level. And just instead, slip the table under the money and hope Westminster doesn't find out what we're doing with our budget. No, no, no. As they, they say, that, I mean, we already do it with things like the bedroom yeah. tax. So it's like, okay, yeah. so Scottish Labour would be quite happy with us just eternally mitigating all of these awful policies from Westminster, even though they're arguing that they would be in power to reverse this. And, the, and basically what they're saying is they're using this to go... And that's why devolution exists. Devolution exists so the Scottish government can make different choices and choose to mitigate it. And it's uh-huh. like, but that's that's not a choice. The choice comes from the source. You can't be like, I mean, we, yeah, we could we, we could totally mitigate it. Why not? And then what would happen? Oh, that money would suddenly not be used elsewhere. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So, so well, that it. as in that 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 money might be used for I don't know schools or hospitals or more teachers or what like you know there's always these metrics that are turned out oh this amount of money would have been better if used for like a hundred new teachers or whatever it is there's definitely like that at play it just seems very silly. Um, <laughs> Rather than build a better system. Rather than build a better system, yeah. we'll just pay money that we don't that we need for other things to prevent the worst things from happening because the other government is completely despicable and corrupt. Yeah, and while I'm jumping all over the place, <laughs> so obviously after mistreating their activists, they lost that by-election, um, and they they lost it by a couple of hundred votes. And instead of Labour going, maybe we shouldn't abuse our activists on social media they decided to blame it on an environmental policy that they had of a of a low emission zone so they decided to go it was actually our endorsement of a low emission zone that lost us the election and you can already see what this is going. I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna reverse all of their fucking eco stuff. Um, but the low emission stuff is necessary because they found out that children in Glasgow schools had the worse air quality than children in Victorian mines. Mm. That's that was a thing that I read. The air quality that they were finding in some central Glasgow schools, children down my coal mines in the you know. The late 1800s had better air quality than yeah. some of the schools because and, of the amount of traffic and pollution. And again, just to like 
if this sounds like I'm jumping between a whole bunch of things, it's because it's that fucking silly. But Scottish Labour in Glasgow, as in Glasgow City Councillors in the Labour Party, voted and were pushing for a low emission zone for ages. And they voted for it. And then when it came to actual implementation, they reversed their decision and said that they were we were penalising taxi drivers. So they're on the side of the workers, but only when it's like the thinnest bit of convenient for them. And it's like the, you know, the low emission zone comes in. It was like they were given a year. So it wasn't like uh, the policies passed and now it's a low emission zone. Like they've got a year and Labour's going to kick up a fuss about it. And I can guarantee you it will be on their literature. So like, again, they just do not have a fucking spine. Um, I, I... I struggle to reconcile the labour of my father. My father's been SNP for as long as I can remember, but before that he was labour. I struggle to reconcile the labour I grew up hearing about with the labour that we have now. Yeah. The fact that the fact that fucking David Tennant, Doctor Who, is leaving the Labour Party. He's been Labour his whole life. Yeah. He's always been on the side of Labour. He was very much like I think Scotland should remain within the UK, and he was always Scottish Labour. And recently, he's been going. Actually, independence might not be a bad idea. <laughs> well, I mean, he he changed his views on independence a couple of years ago. To hear that he's leaving yeah. Labour, I haven't seen that recently. But fucking hell, I saw I saw that he made a comment that he was dissatisfied with the way Labour was going. Yeah. And for diehard Labourists to be like, eh, it might be time to leave. I mean, because a lot of Labour is tied to the identity for a lot of people. A lot yeah. of Labour is we're working class. You know, I you know we deserve rights and all these uh, things, and they they coast on that reputation. And the fact that they are now distancing themselves from that to me is political suicide. I mean, you say that, but they're just taking the Tories' positions. Like, I mean, it'll just be a battle between who's the more competent right-wing party now. So all the people who are right-wing will just vote for them, and then you'll have a bunch of people who still holding on to that, like image of what Labour was will go well I can't ever like I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that Labour are gonna move so right that the Tories will be a left wing option but like the way that it's it's handled is that it'll just be two right wing parties that you're voting for. Can you um, imagine the fucking timeline we'd be in if Labour was the left-wing party? Like, sorry, if the Tories were the left-wing party. Can you imagine how... Oh God. It would literally be frostpunk. You'd be <laughs> in an apocalypse frozen tundra where you're like, yeah, well, the Tories want the children, you know, the kids to, you know, they want them yes. to work, but they don't want them to go into, like, the mine shaft, so they're the liberal <laughs> option. Like... How fucked yeah. do you have to be that the Tories would ever be the Liberal option? I mean, the thing is, is that like with every lurch to the right that Labour make, the Tories get to be, be just like, oh, I'm glad you finally agree with our policy. I mean, that's what that's what Rishi Sunak said to Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's Questions the other day. It was like, oh, I'm 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 so glad that you've finally come on board with a policy that we introduced, and like. Keir Starmer's got no fucking reply to it because it's just like you know he, he he can't even bring himself to say um, like 
I hate the policy, but you fucked the economy, so I, I can't. He's, he's, he's just... Like, Keir Starmer has no reply. And I think, like... I, I don't know, I just... I cannot see uh, Keir Starmer, Prime Minister, being able to do anything. I, I mean, he's, he's got like, look all at, the resilience of a wet paper bag. Yeah, he's, he's got no fucking charisma. I mean, like... He's, you know, he's, what is he, uh, he's a King's Council, you know, lawyer yeah. and all this sort of stuff, but he's, he's a bland, boring fuck. And every single time you see him, you go, Jesus, I mean, it's why people, you know, people think he's called Keith, and <laughs> the National did a really good uh, front page where they put him in a Ken box. Um, for the bar, <laughs> for the bar, for the Barbie film, and it was like, yeah, it comes with all new catchphrases, um, and just that he's got like he got no spine, <laughs> but yeah, he's just he's he's atrocious. Um, <laughs> Starmer could at least have an affair or something, spice it up a bit. I mean, yeah, anything at this point, honestly, he's like a lot of people don't know what he actually stands for because he's never been up front with that. I mean, I wasn't Jeremy Corbyn's biggest fan, but everyone kind of knew what he was about. Whereas, like, Keir Starmer's just, like, he, he fucking U-turns all the time. He's, like, wishy-washy. He's a blank canvas for the party to project onto. Mm. And he will change whatever he is doing based on whatever policy will help them get into power. Yeah. Is, as I've said before, there is no backbone. There's no spine to any of these people because it's they, they don't. They're not acting in service of their constituency. They are acting to enable their own power. Yeah, and that's not what politics is. You, you know, leadership is not about power. Leadership is about service to your people. Yeah, and I mean, like, be. yeah, I mean, I'm just getting frustrated with the SNP at the moment because, like, I think. There's there's not really a plan towards independence at the moment. We're kind of no. coasting. Um and unfortunately it's just entirely reliant on, you know, asking permission. I just I don't think anyone's really went, you know, here's the step by step guide of what we're gonna do if, you know, we're confronted with X. Uh, we can't really just ask politely forever. Uh it doesn't it doesn't work. So um, yeah, you know, I will say that on a personal so the first minister, I've seen a lot of his stuff to do with medical care and just briefly going back to the NHS, there is a current uh, lawsuit against the NHS for a lot of women who are fitted with these um, metal meshes to help with um, mm. bladder incontinence and a lot of the women end up disabled with it because it is it perforates things it causes a whole bunch of problems is this and the thing about the surgeon though there was a big issue yes, with the surgeon yeah yes. and him, him in particular this woman stood up i don't remember her name unfortunately at one of these things and she was you know she was very emotional and she was like what are you going to do and people were trying to silence her and uh Yusuf's response was no no let her talk i need to hear this and he specifically afterwards sat down and, and talked to her so he could understand beyond what he was getting across his table. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was in the middle of his... He was in the middle of his opening speech at a convention for independence, it was. And, yeah, the, the woman disrupted it, which obviously uh, caught a little bit of 
uh, snash from some of the audience who were keen to hear him speak. Uh, but he did, he stepped away from the podium and kind of came down and went to talk to her. There was a lot of, there was a, there was a weird thing about that because like folk were sharing screenshots where he, you know, he went and like touched her arm as he was leaning in uh, and he had like a bunch of transphobes and stuff like that being like, look at how infantilizing he is. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's grabbing her and all this kind of shit. And it's or just showing like... showing empathy and all yeah. It, when I watched it, it did not look as if it was like a all oh, little girl type thing. It was genuinely someone reaching out, having a moment of like, I want to make yeah. contact with this person. I want to make physical contact because they, she was obviously very visibly distressed. Yeah, and I mean, first, you know, I think it was an instinct of how do I help you? I don't think it was she's being treated like a child. I think no, it was a it was... human reaction from a, a genuinely kind person. Yeah. Like, how do I help you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he seems like a, he, like he does seem like a nice guy. Like you know, he's he's yeah. he's doing his bit. He's going out and he's he's meeting people and all that good stuff. Um, I'm just quite keen to see that turn into here is a plan. Um, yeah, you know, it, it we do, doesn't. We, do need, we need a plan. We do need a plan. Um, I just hope he can take that humanity with him because that is what makes me think, feel better about it. Because so many yeah. of the other parties are lacking in humanity. And yeah. that's worrying to me. <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that I find quite impressive about him, and this just comes from an experience, but as as a person of colour in the most hostile fucking media environment, you know, he's, he's a pro-independence SMP <laughs> guy, he has had to put up with a lot of shit from the media for fucking years now. All the way through, I mean, he's got a, quite a broad range of experience because he was on, um, you know, he was on Justice, he was on Health, you know, I think he was on Transport before that. Um, so he's got, a, like, he's he's been in a lot of cabinet roles to have that kind of multidisciplinary experience when it comes to, like, understanding how different bits work. I would love to see that converted into and here is our plan for you know Scotland in the kind of uh, the 2020s 2030s and mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do to make it happen because um, I think there's while while I do think that there's a need to present a case for independence there's also a really strong need to develop Scotland to a place where independence is a lot easier um, you know, as in we can do a lot of the legwork in preparing us for that. Yes. And that comes from, like, you know, getting all of our local authorities properly communicating with each other. At the moment, it's, like, to be honest, I actually think Scotland would be better viewed semi-regionally. Um, as in, without local authorities, a lot of them are, like, obviously Glasgow is, like, a big council, is the biggest council. Um, but I feel like, you know, regions, like, there's, you know, Falkirk, Stirling and Clackmannanshire, which are kind of like a cluster. And it's like, they need to start coordinating with each other just as much as they need to start to sort their shit out individually. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there was a thing uh, a wee while ago where it was like, Stirling and Clackmannanshire were talking about, like, doing a kind of eco-policy together, but they weren't taking, they, like, they weren't speaking to Falkirk, and it was like Falkirk's got the refinery. And it's like, why would you not like, why would you not work together on this? Exactly, um, yeah. So there's, like, you know, I've... That camera's just I, spinning. Yeah, it's... Uh, 
It's, it's okay, we're actually we're getting a nice pan of your room. Um, he's trying to get, he thinks the, the sun is a face. <laughs> that, you can see it trying to move. Ah, okay. There's a face. Ah, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I will not go on this rant for too long, but I will say that like, there's obviously a lot of talk about... Um, like uh, people always talk about devolving more power to local authorities to councils, mm-hmm. so councils can do more and have more power in that set area. And I think that is great, but I think there also needs to be the political will and the ambition from the people who work for the councils. I think quite a lot of people who are in councils see it as a stepping stone to being like in you know an MSP or an MP. But I also think mm-hmm. on the operational side of that. You, yeah, like, you can't have people who are too comfortable in their role that they just don't do anything day by day. Like, I mean, obviously they do their work, and that's not a criticism of them. But there needs to be a little bit of like oomph when it comes to, um, right, we are going to transform this council into a kind of a modern. You know, we're going to get all of our fucking digital priorities organised and, you know, we're going to make sure that everything's linked up and connected and all this kind of stuff. I don't think there is a driving force in many councils at the moment to go, mm-hmm. let's fucking revolutionise how we do things. Um, and I don't think... And I think if if we do get to the point where Scotland's able to do that, we'll be in a lot stronger position to even propose independence to people. Um we shouldn't be at 50% for independence. We should be at 60 or 70 by now, you know? So it seems mm-hmm. a, seems a bit, a bit frustrating. Uh, but anyway, I will now shut up. But that's your that's your UK um, download of fucking politics. As you can tell... This is what I get offline for a while. This is what I get from <laughs> not being connected and all of a sudden everything just goes to worse shit than it you, already was. Y- you miss my blog for one week, Joy, and look I what know, happens... <laughs> um, but yeah I think that's maybe a good place to wrap up just considering our time um, for those of you on the in the chat like don't go anywhere because we do our little after hours session um, but for the people who are listening on uh, the podcast platform of their choice uh, thank you very much for tuning into episode 12 12 yep um, and hopefully the recording's okay and it isn't too staticky. I'll need to have your microphone way. fixed itself halfway through. Oh, did it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even do anything. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, see you next time, folks. Bye bye. Catch you in a bit. Bye bye.